You're listening to The Healthy Sensitive. Welcome, everyone, to The Healthy Sensitive, a podcast for highly sensitive beatniks and creative renegades and introverts and wannabe philosophers who are trying to figure out how to make a good life in a crazy world and stay sane in the process of doing that. I'm Leah Burkhart, your hostess on the show, and it has been a while since I've, well, recorded anything. And I would apologize, except really all I want to say is you're welcome. (laughs) The last, I don't know, I don't know how many weeks it's been, but the last time I checked in, it was before the election, and I kept meaning to come on and, like, give an update to say what was happening or going on or maybe say something about the election or maybe say something about staying healthy during the election. And then when the pandemic started to come back in full force, as many scientists predicted it would because that's how pandemics typically work, they come back in the winter because it's cold and so people go inside and yada 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 and I thought oh well I can do something on I don't even know insert some topic that has to do with the pandemic here except everybody and their mother was talking about the election and quite frankly I just didn't want to add to the noise and more importantly I was way too identified I was too emotional about it, and I knew that that would kind of bleed through in my podcasts um, and in any content that I created, to be quite honest, whether it was a blog posting or a class that I updated or uploaded, anything like that. So what I ended up doing instead (laughs) was slowing down and pausing and checking in. And, you know, it's funny, even people that I know who are really thoughtful in their podcast recordings... I would listen to them, and some of them were still very, very thoughtful, but a lot of them themselves were getting hijacked and upset by one part of the outcome of the election or another, whether it's, yay, I'm glad who won- I'm glad this guy won, but I'm mad that the other guy isn't saying that the other guy won, or, oh, boo, the election got st- I mean, it didn't matter. Just so much noise. And honestly, I mean, I'm sure the anger, the frustration is real for a lot of people. However, (laughs) I also think that there's just a lot of us who are angry. And it really doesn't take much for us to point our anger towards something, anything. Because the reality is most of us are actually angry at a pandemic, if we're being completely honest. And that doesn't really work, does it? You can't be angry at a pandemic. That doesn't really get you anywhere. So instead, we direct all of our frustration to our political contenders. Uh, We direct all of our frustration toward the news or toward each other. Because in some ways, that's just so much easier than facing the very real reality that life is unpredictable and we don't have a whole lot of control over most facets of it. 
That's a really uncomfortable space to occupy. Much more comfortable to blame someone and to look outside of ourselves for the answers. So that's what I've noticed in the last few weeks. And so it's taken me this long before I thought, okay, I think I have enough capacity at this point to talk about something in a way, and I don't, I can't say that what I'm going to speak on or the way that I'm going to speak about it is going to be, you know, earth shattering. <laughs> but what I will say is at least it will be clear, as clear as I can be, and it won't be quite as muddled and muddied with narratives and stories that I've got playing in my head about where we should be politically or where we shouldn't be politically or you know, what, what we should and shouldn't be listening to as it pertains to the science. Anyway. And what finally got me into that space, ironically enough, has been the quiet. I noticed for myself, and I don't know if this is something any of you out there have also experienced, there's this swinging effect where one minute I'm extremely productive and then the next minute I'm utterly exhausted. And I will say there have been many more moments of utter exhaustion lately relative to the extreme productivity. And I'll go from wanting to do 5,000 things at once, so apply for other jobs and and I did that, and that was interesting. Um, and you know, look outside, you know, what about PhD programs? What's the next thing that I need to be looking at? What's next, what's next? And I realized that, oh, right, that's, I mean, that's really interesting. <laughs> I'm the achiever within me, that, that part of me that only feels like I'm of value when I'm contributing something, started to poke out its head. And that was, it caught my attention. Because what I started to realize was, oh, well maybe I shouldn't just be working and be busy for busy's own sake. Everyone is having a different experience with this pandemic. Everyone, it's a unique experience. There are some patterns that I'm noticing though. Some people seem to be having to do three times the workload that they're accustomed to. Often those individuals are families. So if, if you have children at home, you're having to not only work your usual job, but now you're also being asked to be the teacher, to be the daycare provider, and so on. Whereas, you know, we've, we've become used to being able to put our children in schools, and that's not an option in the same way. And then there are others of us who are being siloed and are given oodles of time. And that's the camp that I'm spending most of my time in. I don't have children. I don't have a husband. Um, I live with a roommate and he's one of, I mean, he may be one of my most, I, I don't wanna go so far as to say he's my favorite person on the planet because I don't know, that's kind of gross. But he's one of the people who gets me best in my life. And it's really neat to, as an introvert, to have a roommate who's also uh, someone who enjoys his own company so there's this lovely balance of, oh, I get to see a human being without ever feeling bombarded by humanity. <laughs> and still, in the midst of that quiet, um, you know, for a while, I, that was great because I was still busy and a lot of the rhythms of my life remained intact because I'm just extremely lucky. I still have a job that I go to. And that's right, that I'm going to where there is a place that I sit in and it is distinct from my home. And then there is a time when I go home after that 
period. <laughs> and there is an ease about that. It feels good. Not everyone has that. And lately, though, that's shifted so that I'm spending more and more time at home. And wow, um, even me, me who enjoys my own company a lot, now has realized, oh, there's less and less that I have to do. And so I'm realizing, oh, well, if I'm not busy all the time, am I adding any value? Well, then that, of course, leads to, well, if I'm not adding any direct value, do I have value? Am I going to be seen as redundant or superfluous? Am I going to be let go? And on and on and on the thoughts go. And so in the middle of all that, I slowed down and said, you know, realized, because there was a long time in my life, especially as an HSP, many of you I'm sure can relate to this part of what I'm going to say. I spent a lot of my time constantly hustling. I was working, I was perpetually either working a couple of jobs and or working plus going to school or some variation of those things, working a couple of jobs and also going to school. And then after I was done with my graduate's degree, it was working a bunch of jobs to pay off the student loans. And oy, they. <laughs> and I remember so many moments where I would sit still and do the closest thing I can recall that to prayer, where I would pray, like, God, I just want a moment of peace. I just want to take a breath. And here it is, folks, a moment to take a breath. And I'm terrified of it. Because I don't know if I've earned it. I don't, I don't know if I deserve it. And I don't know what it means if I have this much time to take a breath. I don't know what it means about where I should go next or whether I just need to sit still, all of the questions. In the midst of all of that, you know, again, so I'm still, my brain is going and going and I'm still wondering, well, if I'm gonna create any kind of content for my fellow HSPs and introverts, what am I gonna talk about? <laughs> and then I started watching The Crown because I'm a Netflix binger as most of, uh, just like any other person on this planet who in a first world problem sort of situation, I thought, oh, I'll just lose myself in a Netflix binge. And so, yes, watch The Crown, and that's lovely. And there's a point where one of the characters, uh, Prince Philip, again, these, these are characters. They're fictional characters that are based off of real-life human beings. For those of you who haven't watched The Crown, it's based on the royal family in England. And, you know, there's certainly a lot of artistic license that they're taking, I'm sure. But it's based off of real events. And there's this moment where Philip is talking to his mom, and she looks at him and she has the look of, a, of one who has been through a lot and who's come out on the other side of tragedy and in her own way has triumphed. And she's looking at her son who looks lost. He has the look of, on his face of one who is lost. She says, son, how is your faith? And he thinks about it for a moment and shrugs and says, dormant. And it was so perfect. There was something about it that made me smile because I think that's perhaps where we all kind of are right now, or at least it's where I am. And I'm imagining there might be others who are feeling very similarly. You know, many of the layers of identity that we usually are able to put on ourselves to keep us insulated from the world outside, you know, the from 
attacks from the outside environment, if you will, a lot of those layers are being stripped. Many of us are being let go from our jobs or to the if we're still at our place of work, we're being asked to pivot over and over and over again into different roles and contort ourselves into different boxes, which is uncomfortable. And so our sense of, well, I can't say I am what I do because what I'm doing is so all over the place. Many of us are being asked to keep away from our loved ones for good reason, to keep them safe, to keep ourselves safe and to flatten the curve. It's perfectly understandable. But then if there's any sense of identity of I am who I spend my time with, well, that's removed. We're being asked to be creative when our capacity for creativity is absurdly low. So what's left when you strip all of these things off? My job, my relationships, my hobbies, uh, my busyness, all the things that I used to be able to rely on to go in and feed and, and take the, a lot of the wells that we would be drinking from regularly have just been closed off. And none of us are gonna die from thirst because we still have access to some measure of fluids, if, you know, to use that as an analogy. But it is frustrating, it is frightening to have so many outlets removed. So then I guess what we're left with is just ourselves. And again, I, I can only speak from the perspective of the person who's on this end of the spectrum, the, that end of the spectrum where I'm, I'm, I'm given a lot of time, too much maybe, versus those who I'm sure are just exhausted and who might hear this podcast roll their eyes and go, oh, must suck to be you. And believe me, I get it because I used to be that person. I, and I don't mean I used to be that person as if I've, I've evolved past her. I just mean I used to be in that set of circumstances where I was just exhausted and constantly working. So anyway, back to Netflix. That caught my attention, this idea of how is your faith? And when I posed that question to myself, I thought, God, I, mine's dormant too, I think, because I'm not by nature a religious person. But I would say that I have some measure of faith in life or in my ability to respond to life. And I can honestly say that lately that has started to fray. Not, so, not unravel, but fray. And then the next you know, few episodes down the line, one of the characters, Princess Margot, who if you've ever watched the show or if you know anything about the history, she is the sister. Princess Margot is Elizabeth's sister. And she's talking to a friend who's nicknamed Dazzle. And Dazzle and Princess Margot are perpetually, like they're just the forever individualists. They're partiers. They're, they're cynics. They're you know, there, there's a camaraderie between them. And he has the audacity to go, and instead of remaining a cynic, he goes to find happiness, and he finds it in the church. Catholic church, to be more specific. But at any rate, she pokes at him, sort of, you know, oh, yeah, did you really find happiness, you know? And he says, well, you know, I, there's something to be said for letting go and surrendering to something larger than ourselves. And she responds with, oh, and did you find that when you did that, you became happy? He said, no, 
It wasn't happiness, it was ecstasy. You could have that too, you know. She said, oh God, are you kidding me? If I joined the Catholic Church, my family would disown me. And he quirks his eyebrow up and says, would it really be so bad? I mean, you've testified yourself to all of the atrocities that they've committed against you personally and against others. Would it really be so bad to let that identity go? And she responds with something that's, say, if I were to just summarize it, she says, yeah, really would be so bad. This is my something larger. I have committed myself to this family. Now, again, I don't know if this conversation actually took place. Let's, I'm not trying to go into the realm of history here. What I think is interesting is the concept of those of us who are caught up in our own prisons, prisons of our own making, um, because we're so stuck in our identities that we're not willing to surrender. And there's something else, too, that he says when he's talking about his surrendering to his Catholic, you know, becoming a Catholic priest. He says, it's not just that there's something larger than myself. There's also the rigor of the church. It's invigorating. And that seems to me like something we're all missing. That regularity, the rigor, a sense that we're all in the same boat, churning the oars at the same pace and moving in more or less the same direction. It really feels like we're all kind of in our own little itty bitty canoes and it's unsteady and irregular and we don't really know what it is we're doing. And there isn't rigor because there's no, you know, rhythm to our own canoe. It's all, we're all left to our own devices. We're all kind of, again, boating along on our own. So that led me to start thinking, oh, well, huh, <laughs> what, how was my faith is the first question. And of course, I think for myself, I wouldn't say it's dormant, but wow, um, that's something I should start looking at. And then the next is, what about the rigors of my own life? Is that what's missing? And sure enough, yeah, there isn't, there, I mean, I'm still busy. I'm still doing the everyday necessities of life, doing all of that, but there's an emptiness. There's a, a yearning for something intangible. And so um, I guess it reminds me a little bit of, I don't know if you've ever read this book, The Thinking Woman's Guide to Magic. Unfortunately, I can't remember the author. I do this a lot, but anyway, you can Google it. The Thinking, Guide, the Thinking Woman's Guide to Magic. And in the book, this character ends up being enchanted by a, a, a woman who, you know, the, the main character is heartbroken because she just broke up with a man. And she herself, the main character, that is, is a PhD graduate student trying to get tenure as a professor somewhere. Um, and she's, it's not going well. And then her boyfriend breaks up with her, which never feels good. No one likes being broken up with. And then she goes to this wedding that is a friend of hers and she sees the guy who broke up with her. And so she's really not in a good spot. She decides, I'm just going to go out and maybe go for a walk, you know, get some fresh air. She does. And then somehow stumbles her way into a cemetery. And then you get the sense as the reader that somehow the, the passing of her going th from one place, you know, stepping over that threshold, she goes into a quote, new world. And you don't quite understand why she's in a new world. You just get that she is. Well, at any rate, this enchantress, you know, sees Nora, that's the name of the character, um, 
and says, oh, let me, let me soothe you. Let me make it better. I'm throwing a party and you, you must come. I'll leave that wedding behind. You know, you don't really want to go. So she gets suckered into it. And then this woman ends up enchanting her and creating, turning her into this beautiful, almost princess and introduces this beautiful new version of Nora to her son, Racklin. And Racklin is this stunningly gorgeous man and they get whisked off and they're warning signs that something's off. Like she keeps forgetting things and she gets confused easily and she's not quite understanding why things are such as they are. And it's like, wait, I, she, she loses her ability to recapture words, which is weird for a grad student who works a lot in language. Um, and at some point she happens across a magician who understands her plight, understands what it is that she's in for. And when he discovers that she's now betrothed to Racklin, he hints at her like, ooh, yeah, um, you're probably not of sound mind right now. You have enough spells on you to, you know, I don't know, put a moose in coma, but <laughs> in a coma, but eat, just keep your eyes open. You know, the, not everything is what it seems. And so you, the reader, are catching on to this and going, yeah, 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 come on, Nora, something's not right here. And yet, you know, it, it, it seems like it should be right. She is suddenly beautiful. She's no longer frumpy. I mean, she was, you don't get the sense that she was ugly or, 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 you know, miserable in her other life, just unhappy and, you know, unlucky in love. And so suddenly now she's whisked into a world where she's gorgeous and she's dating this gorgeous man who can't get enough of her. And it, of course, goes terribly wrong <laughs> he the Racklin turns out to be quite the villain and it's all bad news bears and what I what I like about it is the, you know the sense the whole time that it's like things are not what they seem and it's very much the be careful what you wish for because once we get it we might deter we might discover that oh this isn't actually what I wanted after all and so this is the classic I'll be happy when I'll be happy as soon as we do that all the time. And a lot of positive psychologists remark on this. They'll say, you know, oh, as soon as I get into Harvard, I'll be happy. Well, as soon as I graduate from Harvard, I'll be happy. Well, as soon as I get that job at the law firm, I'll be happy. Well, as soon as I get partner, I'll be happy. As soon as I find my beloved, I'll be happy. Well, as soon as I marry my beloved, as soon as I have kids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As soon as I finish the last step in a Dave Ramsey program, as soon as I lose the weight. And what keeps coming up over and over is it never works. We keep imagining that once we meet the goal, that will bring us joy, and it doesn't seem to do that. And I think what's happening now in the midst of this pandemic is a lot of us are getting stuck with maybe more time than we would like to take a good look at ourselves and at our lives. And we're starting to ask questions like, am I happy? Is this what I want? Where should I go from here? Can I be happy even in the midst of a pandemic? Can I find joy even when all of the other distractions are removed? Are these things attainable? Is it possible? And what positive psychologists are constantly trying to explain to us is it's happiness first. It's not as soon as I get successful, I'll be happy. It's if I do the work to create a life that is a happy one, that will attract a lot of other people into my life and that will bring success. Like, in other words, if I prioritize my, um, if I prioritize happiness, that is what will bring me joy. And in that joy, doors will open for me. Insert whatever door you might want to be open.
And then you can go even further than that with folks like uh, the minimalists who say, you know, don't shoot for a happy life. Like candy makes you happy. Shoot for a meaningful life. What would it look like to have a meaningful life? Okay, so that brings us right back to, okay, so does your life have meaning when all the things that you've spent most of your time doing suddenly changes? Does your life still have meaning when you lose your job? Does your life still have meaning when your job shifts and suddenly you feel like the thing you were doing wasn't all that necessary after all? In other words, how is your faith? <laughs> you know, what's going on there? And in my, when I talk, this is important for all human beings, I think, but for highly sensitive people in particular, I think there's a special kind of pain that gets brought on because HSPs just have a more vigilant nervous system. They're not special people, but they're kind of, they're, their nervous systems respond uh, more and more and to very subtle changes in their environment. So you can imagine what a pandemic would do. And when I talk about how to create a robust and healthy life if you're a highly sensitive person, I use the acronym STRONGER. So S is something larger, or you might say spiritual practice. And then T is time to recharge, and R is relationships, O is outlet, as in creative outlet, N is nourishing food and nourishing experiences, G is a growth exercise, E is physical exercise, and then R is rest. That something larger, I think, is we're all suddenly being faced with. It is a necessity. We need to feel like whatever it is that we are doing is in service to something larger than ourselves, at least in some part. There's got to be some area of our lives that feels like it has worth and meaning. And so if that thing that we've been leaning on for meaning is our family, our job, or something outside of ourselves, it's very vulnerable to the shifts of the environment, like when a pandemic hits and everything has to change. And so then if we have to figure out, okay, what is the thing that is bringing us meaning? Another way of looking at that is, you know, what is it that you want to link to? Because that's what looking toward your something larger is really about. It's about linking to something outside of yourself. It's about being able to appeal to something outside of your everyday, you know, day-to-day jurisdiction. It's, um, you know, is there something beyond the daily grind that even when life is nuts, you can kind of sink into, melt into, and say, I will put, I will rest here. And what this might be, I think, why, like, if you ever look in, say, the blue zones, uh, blue zones are areas where there are uh, large proportions of people who live there who are centenarians. So if you look to blue zones, th- those who have studied these areas will say, okay, well, what is it that led these individuals to live to be past 100 and happily so? And, you know, yeah, they eat mostly plants. You know, they don't eat too much food. They um, seem to have happy relationships. They move their bodies all the time, although not necessarily in the way that we Americans come to think of it. Um, And also many of them have a community, a faith-based community. So isn't that interesting? Faith is healthful. It brings us a sense of of a, a desire to wake up the next day. So anyway. <laughs> I also, in the midst of thinking about all of this, and again, I'm knee deep into 
reading books and watching The Crown and all of that. So fiction, I think, is really special because it allows my brain to go into out of the realm of just the uh, the rational and into the realm of the more artistic and the more flowy, airy fairy stuff. And as I'm watching The Crown, I'm also seeing how my system responds to, say, Princess Diana or Margaret Thatcher or Elizabeth or... And I'm linking that, of course, to my world today, Trump or Obama. And I think part of the reason why we start to identify with these people, I, I personally do think part of the reason that so many people are angry in, in the realm of politics right now is we're, we're angry at facets of ourselves. I can say personally, there is a part of me that is very much like a Princess Diana, sensitive, sweet, innocent, willing to, you know, cause harm to myself, maybe not in quite the same way that she did, but, you know, that, that um, internal, emotional uh, bashing, you know, like criticism, internal criticism and not of the constructive variety. Um, so there's a part of me that's more like the doe-eyed Diana. There's also a part of me that's like a Margaret Thatcher, that ruthless, get off your own tush, like, for example, when I'm talking to people about student loans. And people say, oh, I just wish that the government would forgive them. And there's a part of me that goes, listen, toots, I paid my student loans off. You can do it too. <laughs> that sort of like, mm -mm, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, babe. <laughs> and there's a part of me that's like Elizabeth, cold, calculating, uh, thoughtful, conscientious, rational, uh, regular, steady. There's a part of me that's like Trump, impulsive and decisive and I don't know if I want to go tyrannical but there's a part of me that wants to just behave the way I want to behave and that I think is part of his allure is that he just says what he thinks when he thinks it and there's no filter there is a part of me like that there's a part of all of us like that and then of course in reading Obama's latest book because of course I'm reading his book too why not nerd city um who there's a part of me that's very Obama-like thoughtful um um, not just nerd-like, there, there's not just, not eccentric, what's the word I'm looking for? Intellectual. There's a part of me who's the softer, uh, and I don't mean soft like, oh, he's a powder puff, but the way he speaks, the way he thinks, it's methodical, it's slower, he's not as quick to just bounce to a response. There's a part of me that has all of these different temperaments kind of buried within. So what's underneath all of that? That's what I think we all need to start looking at, you know, and we're so angry at a pandemic. We're so frustrated. We're so tired. And all of our usual wells are being just sopped up. And so we're quick to blame. It must be Trump's fault. It must be Biden's fault. It must be the scientists' fault. It must be China's fault. It must be anyone's fault other than my own. And there's a part of us that wants to bunker in and be good citizens and not go out. And there's a part of us that just says, screw it. I don't care anymore. I'm tired. I just want to go see my people. There's a part of us that is angry when we hear about restaurants opening. And there's a part of us that is angry when we hear about them closing. There's a part of us that matches any archetype of a persona that you can imagine. And so the question that, start, that we're now being faced with is what's underneath all of that? If we are willing to stop pointing fingers at each other and 
imagining that we have all of the answers and if only they listen to us. I mean, look at this election just as an example. It's like the most people voted out of any election in history and Biden won by the greatest margin in history. Except also Trump won by more votes this time than he did last time. And Biden had the most votes ever. Trump had the second most votes ever. <laughs> it, we're a schizophrenic country. We really are. Or we're certainly extremist, it seems like it. And maybe some of that is just by our nature. You know, there's some of us that are more Margaret Thatcher types and there are some of us who are more, well, I don't know if I want to say Elizabeth was the opposite of that, but the inverse of whatever that means. And that's always been the nature of our country. Maybe that's always true, blah, blah, blah. But underneath all of that, there is this common thread binding us all together. It is our common humanity, our common sense of, you know, we're just trying to feel our way through the world. Some of us are willing to take some responsibility for our own experience. Some of us are moving away from looking out there for the answer and looking more toward what's in here for the answer. I don't know which one is right. I just know which one is right for me. And so when thinking about this idea of what is your something larger, it seems like a big topic to mull over. For me, when I've, because I've been mulling over it for a while, what is my something larger? I mean, all I've got is that connection with something that I can't put my finger on. I can barely, I can point to it, to the general direction of it. Like when I'm deep in a meditation practice, there is a something that is outside of and inside of and bigger than and inside, like, and all over. And I don't know what to call it. You, some, I imagine, call it God. Other people call it the universe. Other people call it chi or spirit or whatever you want to call it. But there's something beyond my daily Leoness. <laughs> and that's the thing I'm finding I have to constantly go back and link to. It's the, I might not know huh, what is coming next, but I do have some faith that I will respond as well as I possibly can. That's what I have faith in. My something larger, the thing that I'm working toward, I don't know what that is, I'll be completely honest. I used to think it was health or maybe helping other people find their own health. But now that almost seems kind of shallow. We're in the middle of a pandemic and maybe on some level it would be good if we were all healthy. But for me, health is something so much bigger than just, do you not have COVID? <laughs> did, you, did you test negative for COVID? Health has always been about having a sense of wholeness. So that's been for me. So I guess my something larger would be my connection with myself, but the non-egoic self. I don't know. There's not a real language for any of this stuff. But I, I can say that I really envy people who have a clear 
something larger. Like mine still now, or maybe not still, now I'm discovering my something larger is vague. I don't have an idea exactly of what my something larger is. And I think that's part of why there's this pull towards staying busy. There's this, oh no, I need to find something to occupy my time, otherwise I don't have any value. Because <laughs> um, if I'm not super busy, then, that, then someone's going to figure out that I'm not super busy and they're going to replace me. And that may well be true, but that, that's also just a story I'm telling myself. The reality, of course, is that we are all going a bit more slowly. And most companies at this particular time, because all companies are being run by other humans who are also a little bit low on the bandwidth, there's not a rush to want to get rid of people unless it's really, really urgent. So it's like, well, okay, maybe that's true or maybe it's not. Either way, it's a story because I can't really know. But the desire to want to be busy is real. And it's because I don't want to face the fact that I'm really scared that if I'm not busy doing something, I don't have any value. And what's funny about that, though, is when I really look at the things that bring me the most joy and bring me the most value in my life, they have virtually nothing to do with productivity. I mean, I love my dog. She is fabulous. And there is nothing productive about her. <laughs> she is lazy. She lays on the couch all day long. She snuggles on a blanket when she wants to snuggle on a blanket. And I, I have to walk her and clean up her poop in the backyard and I have to feed her and play with her and train her and all the things. And I love it. She is doing nothing productive and yet she brings me so much joy. And I look to my relationships. You know, do I love the people in my life that I love simply because they've done something for me? No. It's, it's not like, oh, thanks for doing the dishes. I now love you, whereas before I did not. Um, it's not like, oh, thank you. You scratched an itch on my back, and before I didn't love you, but now I do. No, I love them because of who they are and how they're moving in the world. There's something else <laughs> that's linking me to these people in my life. And it's like, oh, well, if I can love my dog for no other reason than simply because I do, is it possible that I could love myself for no other reason than simply that I do? Could I be kind to myself during this time, even when I'm not quote-unquote earning my keep in a way that I'm accustomed to? I think the answer is yes. And also, I think the challenge I'm having is keeps coming back to that something larger. And so I thought the reason that I wanted to do an episode that was speaking to this something larger concept is partially because it's selfish, really. I'm, I'm wondering what my something larger is. And I'm also a little bit curious if there are those of you out there who are feeling that similar angst, that sense of, wow, I, I'm not quite sure how to organize my life when I'm not organizing it around logistics in the same way that I'm used to. And I want to feel like I'm connected to something. I'm used to being connected to my church or my community or my job, and I'm not anymore. 
and that's scary because now I feel like an island. I feel alone. I'm wondering if maybe I'm not the only one who feels a little bit alone, who's starting to feel the, the fatigue that comes with constant uncertainty. I was looking this up, in fact, it, there was someone who called it COVID fatigue. And really, if you get into the nitty gritty details of it, this person was saying, well, I mean, it's, it's not really COVID fatigue, it's more like trauma fatigue. And this author talks about how we're really right on target. Like when you're first exposed as a people to something difficult, the first go-to is to come together and to support each other, which we did. Even when we were separated, we would wave to each other, have social distance block parties. We were doing all the things. But then that wears and wanes and ugh. And then we go into rage and shame and frustration and fatigue. And then it gets to a place where there's this impulsivity that comes online where it's like, you know what? I'm tired. I'm tired of being good. I'm tired of being right. I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And consequences be damned. If I get COVID, oh, well. Not really thinking about, oh, well, if I get COVID at the same time that everyone else does, does um, that's going to be really tough on the nurses and the hospitals that are going to be tasked with taking care of me. And so if we're going to get through this, if we're going to continue to be stoic and conscientious and resilient, I think we need that something larger. I think it's why we're so angry with leaders who haven't been good leaders. And I don't care who you like or hate or love. I will go to task with anyone who tries to tell me that the people in the big wiggly, you know, the big leagues in terms of leadership are doing a good job. They're not. I'm sorry. I'm not going to let anyone tell me otherwise. I won't say, however, that it is all their fault either. I don't think that any one person is to blame. And when people try and tell me, oh, it would have been better if, it's like, good God, you don't know. You have no idea. I just know that there isn't any voice that's pulling us together. And so if there is no such voice, as far as I'm concerned, that means there's no such leader. So we're all kind of on our own here, which is fine. But we're all a little tired of being on our own, I think. And so what I would love to know for those of you out there, is what is your something larger? What's the thing that anchors you to the floor of our, uh, to the floor of a metaphorical ocean when there's a hurricane that wants to s just trash the boat into pieces and send it flying? What is the thing that you can link to to get away from all of the noise? I don't quite know what mine is. I, I can only start with the kinds of things I do know. I can tell you that when I'm moving, I can see a little bit more clearly and I can breathe better. So if I regularly commit to exercising and moving my body, I, I feel a little less trapped. Um, I can tell you that when I nourish my body with good food, I feel better than when I eat junk. Um, I can tell you that when I prioritize my sleep, I feel more connected to my fellow man <laughs> than when I don't. These are the things that I can, I can tell you that when I engage in a meditation practice and my yoga therapy practice, 
there are those feel like stolen moments when I'm linking to something larger than myself and makes me feel more sane. But I don't know that there's anything cohesive. There's nothing I can point to singularly and say that. That thing right there is the thing that binds all of this together. I'm still trying to tease that out for myself. I'm wondering either if, one, there are those about those of you out there who already know what your something larger is. Maybe it's a faith. Maybe your faith isn't dormant like poor Prince Philip and maybe myself. <laughs> um, maybe it's alive and intact. Or maybe it's also frayed. Don't know. Maybe there are some of you out there, though, who feel similarly to me. And I guess my question to you, not a question really, it's more of a statement. It's if you're feeling alone, um, you're not. You've got at least one other person on this planet who's tired and who's not quite sure what comes next and who doesn't quite know how to, like, where to point my compass. Like, that's what we need, maybe, is a compass, a sense of, well, where do I go next? Or what is my orientation? And I don't know what that is. The only thing I've got that I can work with is that when I point the compass inward, that seems to work better than when I point it outward. That's all I've got, though. Not, not much else. So I would love to hear from you and hear what it is that you have to say. What are the... Are there spiritual practices or practices that link you to something larger than yourself that are keeping you sane? And if there are, are you willing to share them with me so that I can then share all of those with everybody else? Um, that would be great. <laughs> and number two, if you feel like you're alone, do you want to tell me more about that? So anyone who is interested in sharing maybe your experience to say, yes, this is exactly how I'm feeling. I would love to share my story. I just want to provide an opening, an outlet for those who might want to share. And for any of you who want to share either of those things, uh, the best place to do that would be to send me an email. So it's Leah, L-E-A-H, at thehealthysensitive.com. So again, Leah at thehealthysensitive.com. You can also find me on my website. Um, I am going to start updating more content into the membership page. That too has been uh, devoid of new updates for the last few weeks. Again, because I honestly didn't think that whatever it was that I would add would add any value at all. I think it would only have depleted people further. This, I don't know if it added value for anybody who's listening, but at least I feel pretty confident that I'm not um, going out of my way to vomit my political opinions or my, I don't know, narratives and identities all over people, uh, or at least not as much as I would have a few weeks ago, that I can say. So again, if you want to share what's happening for you during this time and you just want someone to know that you exist, please feel free to reach out, leah at thehealthysensitive.com or my website, www.thehealthysensitive.com. And until next time, which I have every reason to believe will be more frequent now because, well, <laughs> I did say I want super busy, so yay. <laughs> Have a wonderful week. I hope to check in with you next week. And uh, yeah, that's it. Bye. Bye.